Title of today's message is Four Lessons from the Valley of Dry Bones. And as you saw there, that scripture was taken from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 10. You have it on the back of your bulletins. I've been adding that to the back of the bulletin, so you have the same version and the scriptures that I'm using, so you can pray and study through it throughout the week as you consider uh, what has been taught here this morning. So let's pray over the word. Father God, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, and I thank you in particular for this scripture, because it shows a God of love. It shows a God of restoration. It shows a God that even if things look so bleak and dead, that you can come and breathe new life. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, the idea of new life being breathed into our lives and into the lives of this church. So Father God, be with us this morning as we study your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So in that video, we saw a very graphic description of the scripture that we're going to be dealing with today. And we're taking a little bit of a break from our series on the names of God on this membership Sunday for a little bit of vision casting about our future as a church family. Now, this scripture is a favorite among pastors who want to talk about revival and want to talk about renewal. Because it shows a situation where it seems like every chance for life is gone. You see a very stark, a very graphic, and almost distressing and grim scene painted before you. You see this valley that is filled with bones. Bones that are dry. Bones that are just bleached in the sun. All life has gone away from them. They're essentially a bunch of minerals and rocks sitting there. They've been picked clean by... Vultures picked clean by bugs, picked clean by all forms of carrion. And no one would have any, with any sense would look at this and think that there is any chance that life could come into that valley and all these bones again. And there's four lessons that we can learn from this valley and from these bones and from this situation. And the first one that we're going to learn is to understand the history behind the event that is portrayed here in Ezekiel and how it speaks to us and correlates with us and what we're talking about today. So let's begin by the first, uh, looking at the first lesson, and that is going to be doing a quick review about the time that Ezekiel was speaking to, so we can have a, con a little bit of a biblical context to what he is speaking to and why he is speaking the way he is. Ezekiel was a prophet to the exiles in Babylon. Now, as a brief history of, of, where he, of why he is in Babylon and how the people got to Babylon, let's look at, at the a little bit of a refresher of some of the later Old Testament history. David becomes king. His son Solomon follows him as king. After Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam was asked to relax some of the taxes that were over the top of the nation of Israel. Solomon had built the temple, he had built many palaces, and he had taxed the people very heavily, and the people were getting a little bit sick of it. So they came to Rehoboam and said, hey, Rehoboam, can you, you know, lighten the load of the taxes? I mean, you don't need any more palaces. We have the temple. You know, we can, we can kind of dial back on how much you're taking out of our paychecks. Well, Rehoboam went and talked to his, some of his friends about it. His friends gave him some very bad idea, ideas. And Rehoboam came back to the people and said, if you think my dad taxed you, I'm going to double it. So most of the tribes of Israel threw up their hands and said, 
you know what, fine, you guys have your own thing, we're going to have our thing up there, and we are leaving Israel. And the kingdom split into a northern and a southern kingdom of Israel. And once they split, those northern tribes went all, um, lost their access to Jerusalem. So they left the fear, pure form of worship that they had had up until that point, and they tried to have this blended style of worship where they had kind of everything goes. We're going to include God in our worship, but we're also going to kind of mix in some of the, the local traditions of some of the people who live around us. Well, once you start mixing in something with the pure worship of God, God has a tendency to get shoved out, and that's what happened. And they fell into a worship purely of Baal and Asherah. That kingdom was um, kept the name Israel and had no good kings. Every single king that they had was an evil king. You can make a little bit of argument about Jehu because he did the will of the Lord a little bit, but he really wasn't a good king. And that king, as I said, that kingdom kept the name of Israel, and it lasted for about 210 years before God used the Assyrian Empire to, to conquer it and take it off the map. The southern kingdom took the name of Judah. They went through a series of good kings that would keep the people into a more pure form of worship with God and some kings that would lead them into Baal worship. The last good king, Josiah, brought major reforms. Of all the kings, he brought the best reforms of all but his, and, and established the pure form of worship to, to Yahweh God. But after him, his sons led him right back into the, into the depths of, of sin, and that kingdom crumbled, and that was taken over by Babylon, which had previously just conquered Assyria. And they carried all the people from Judah away from their country and settled them into what is now modern-day Iraq. I have just summarized for you First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. I'm going to license it. That's Pastor John's super-condensed version patent pending. So you can't use it without my permission, or at least give me some royalties for it. This is a time that Ezekiel was called to. He was one of the people who endured the siege of Jerusalem. The siege of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon surrounded Jerusalem, put it under siege for over two years. And if you don't know history, one of the worst places you can be and worst things you can live through is a siege. The water runs out, the food runs out, it just gets bad. I'm not going to go into the details. I'm just going to say it gets horrible bad um, during that time. But he managed to survive it, and he was carried off into, into Babylon, where he continued in a prophetic office there. People would come to see him to see what the Lord would have to say and, and to learn about the God of their forefathers. So that's the background that Ezekiel is speaking to here in the Valley of Dry Bones. The people that are there in Babylon have lived through the closest thing you can come to, to hell on earth. And the idea of living in their own land, of living free as a nation of Israel, was totally and completely eradicated from their minds. Because Babylon didn't come in just to conquer. They came in to destroy. They leveled Jerusalem. There wasn't a single brick left upon one another when they were done. So the idea that they could ever go home was gone. Many of us have gone through that. If you've had a childhood home that has since been sold or since been destroyed, you just have that feeling you can never go home. I had that feeling myself when my grandma sold um, her house in Hayward. 
and now other people are living in it. Yeah, it's still there, but you have that sense that you can never go home again. So this is, this is the kind of feelings that these people are dealing with right now in Babylon. And they're coming to Ezekiel and hearing the word of the Lord. And these are some of the things that they're hearing from him. So they have accepted their current reality. Even though with tears they remember that place called Israel that they called home. That is the valley of dry bones. All those expectations, all those dreams, all those, those different memories that they had of what the situation that they had when they were in Israel is gone now. The immediate application of this scripture refers to Israel coming back into its own land and having a person like David be their king again. It points directly to the days, by the way, that we are living in right now. Because even though Israel kind of became a nation again during the time of the, the 400 years between uh, Malachi and Matthew that existed, during the time of the Maccabees and all that kind of thing, they kind of became a nation. They never truly became a sovereign nation. They were always underneath uh, the thumb of some other nation. So this um, valley of dry bones never came into existence until 1947 when Israel became its own sovereign nation again and God blew into the bones. Its final culmination of fulfillment will be Jesus' return to rule on David's throne. So this valley of dry bones, historically in its immediate application, is still coming to happen. And we get to see it in our day. Isn't that exciting? So what does all that mean for us today? Ezekiel's words reach through the centuries, and they have power for us today because all of us during some time in our lives have had our dreams shattered, haven't we? Many of us had dreams as children that never came to be. We've all gone through that. I remember I, would, I was sitting in a park one one day with my friend Scott, and Scott and I were, you know, we're probably about 14, 15 years old, and we're thinking we're going to go make a whole bunch of money until we're about 30, and then we're going to go buy a cabin on the lake and fish, and that's what we're going to do with our whole life. I remember having that kind of a dream. Some of us have had jobs and careers that you just poured yourself into, that suddenly that job is gone, you get laid off, the company closes. Some of you have had children that have gone the way of the world, have not stayed faithful to the faith that they were raised in. And all of a sudden, you look to the future that you had set in your mind about the way things were going to look, and you see nothing but dried bones, picked clean by the ravages of the situation and bleached in the fire of circumstances that happened. I want to let you know there's a theological term for this, and you're going to want to write it down. The theological term is called life. It's life. Sometimes life is hard. And everyone who has ever lived has experienced this phenomenon called life. And I never want to diminish pain that people feel. Some of people here, I know I have been, and some people here have literally just gone through hell on earth in their lives at one time or another. You've gone through horrific situations, and I don't want to make light of that at all. I understand that there is pain there. But I also know what the enemy meant for evil, 
God can turn around and use it for our good. If we'll let him teach us through that situation and still worship him through it. We can live through it. We can endure and we can learn to glorify God even when we're going through those kind of situations and when life just turns very unfavorable to us. We go through these times. And so do churches. Churches are made up of people so they can go through these times. And a few of you have shared with me about the glory days of this fellowship. And then something would happen, and it seems like you'd have to start over. There'd be a split, there'd be an argument, there'd be a misunderstanding, bad leadership, whatever caused it. And all of a sudden, you'd go from 50 people down to 15. And you would start asking the question, can these dry bones ever live again? So we're going to look into that in the next three lessons that the Valley of Dry Bones teaches us. And the second lesson is the, there is a promise of restoration in this scripture right here. Our God is a God that wants to bring restoration to us. Ezekiel 37.3 He, meaning God, asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to those bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. God longs to restore things that have been broken. People that have been broken. Churches that have been broken. Communities that have been broken. He is a restoration expert. And how do I know that? How can I say that? Because especially when it comes to um, not just individual people, but organizations such as churches. Because Jesus did not have John write seven letters to just people. Who did he have him send seven letters to? Churches. He is intimately and, and just really, really in to the health of his church and concerned with the health of his church. Our God is just as concerned with the fellowship of believers as he is about the individuals who make up those churches. And it's not just the gospel, it's not just the New Testament, but the whole biblical record speaks of a God that is calling his people back to him, whether it's individually or as groups that we call churches. And there's, but there is another incredible truth that I found in the word of God. And this just rocked my world when I was studying for this message. Our father is not just interested in restoring he is interested in pouring out blessings with that restoration. And we see a great example of this in Joel. Joel prophesied that God's judgment was going to come. The people were ignoring the prophets. The people were, were sinning against the Lord. And he was going to come and get their attention by sending locusts to destroy their crops. Because God wanted them to come back to him. He didn't want to lower a large boom and, and start having to deal with sin in, in, a, in a very um, strict way of, of, of actually harming people. He sent locusts to destroy the crops, to get the people's attention. 
And he does that. People keep ignoring him. He sends the crops or the locusts to destroy the crops. But then God tells Joel to again prophesy to the people and promise them that there is a restoration coming. In Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 25, God says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Wow. Wow. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent upon you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. And then you will know that I am in Israel and that I am the Lord your God and that there is no other. And never again will my people be shamed. That's an incredible, incredible promise from the word of God. Joel's prophesying to the people that God's going to send the locusts to devour the crops as a warning and as a chastisement for their sin. The people refuse to repent and he sends the locusts and the crops are just devastated by the hand of the Lord. And then there is repentance. The people come back to the Lord. They turn away from their idols and sin. They come back and they repent. And then God gives them this incredible promise that he will restore the very crops that he destroyed because of their rebellion. He will not only restore them, but they'll have more than what they need. That they will have almost double portions, the blessing that comes from repentance and obedience. It reminded me of proper parenting. You know, if you have children when they're growing up and you have to, and they do something bad enough where they have to get the paddle, it shouldn't be, you know, you give them their spanking and then send them to their room in anger. It should be giving them their spanking and then giving them a hug. And that's what God is doing here. It's like, I didn't want to have to spank you. I didn't want to have to use physical force to get your attention. But I am so concerned about your soul and so concerned about how you are going to grow up that I am doing this, but I still love you. That is the message that God is giving him. He's saying that I'm not only promising restoration, I'm, I'm also going to graciously leave you a remnant. Now, what is a remnant? Most of you are familiar with the story of Elijah. Elijah has been obedient to his calling. He's now on, run, on the run from a queen who wants him dead. Elijah's exhausted. He's spent. He's tired in every conceivable way. How many people here have been that exhausted in their lives? I have. He's hiding in a cave. And he says these words to God. He says, God, I've been very zealous for you, Lord God Almighty. And the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death. I am the only one left now, and now they're trying to kill me too. You know, I read the Bible, and I try to put myself both in, the, in Elijah's place and in God's place as he's hearing it, and I can almost see him smile, or God smile at Elijah when he heard him say this. And God's reply is so gracious and loving toward his servant that he decides to just peel back the, the veil over the top of his plan and give Elijah a, a glimpse of, of what is going on in the spiritual. And the essence of what God replies to Elijah and says, Elijah's son, my plan doesn't solely depend upon you. It's not according to your obedience or your success. I already have 7,000 other prophets of Baal. 
that are already over here ready to hear my call. Right now, they're ready to pick up the mantle. God always preserves a remnant people. The remnant is a people that are probably going to serve out of the limelight, but they're quietly going to stay faithful to God. They're people of prayer and very deep devotion. They're not going to be the pastors of megachurches. They're not going to have their own book deals. They're not going to be on TV. But they're going to faithfully walk with their God. They're going to faithfully and quietly serve their church. They're probably not even going to be somebody who's immediately involved in the hierarchy of the church, but they're person that keeps the mission and, and fellowship and spirit of that church alive. We have people here that are part of God's remnant people. And I want to take this opportunity to publicly say thank you. Thank you for being such a blessing to this church. Thank you for sticking with this church, even when you didn't have a pastor for four years. Thank you for being faithful, even when the numbers dwindled, even when there seemed to be no hope. I thank you for that. Thank you for being the remnant that God chose to stay faithful. You're the reason this church still exists. And God sees that. I see that. And I say this, that your reward will be great when you stand before him. Thank you for me and thank you from your father. The remnant are always kept safe in God's hands. They have a special relationship with him. And they're hidden away until God is ready to move in restoration. And we're going to look at two different ways that God moves in restoration. That'll be our third and fourth lesson from the Valley of Dry Bones. And the third lesson is God sometimes has to prepare the physical to accept the spiritual. Ezekiel 37 verse 7 says, So I prophesied as I commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. When God gets ready to restore and renew, there is an order that he has to put in place, an appreciation for his holiness. He has to reestablish an awe of God in the people before he can restore. We see this in the giving of the law. In Exodus chapter 19, as, as, as Moses is getting ready to receive the law, in Exodus chapter 20, he tells, God tells Moses to tell the people, wash your clothes. Clothes being the very instruments that, that cover our, our flesh that sinned before him. He tells them, wash their clothes. You have to prepare yourselves before you come and meet me and hear my commandments. Moses with the tabernacle. God told him, you will build this tabernacle exactly the way I have shown you on the mountain. And further on in the uh, Torah, it says that, God, that Moses put that last fastener in place just as God told him to do so, and the glory then fell. The same thing happened in the temple. It was built according to the way that God told Solomon to build it. And when, and when that last brick was laid or, or that last piece put into place, what happened? The glory fell. There has to be order before the glory can fall. And we see it here in Ezekiel. God is a God of order. He was not going to breathe air into a skeleton. Why? 
It's not alive. It's not going to hold the air. It can't possibly contain the glory of God that's being blown into it. He has to put the the tendons back in place. He has to put the organs together. He has to put skin back on this skeleton. Then he blows the life into it. And all this illustrates a point that sometimes there has to be a physical preparation that has to happen before the breath can be blown in to restore and renew life. Jesus even illustrated that when he talked about wine. He said, you don't pour new wine into old wineskins. There has to be a new wineskin that is developed so the new method and the new way that God is going to blow can hold that wine, can hold that anointing, can hold that breath of his that's going to breathe life into other people. And the same thing that happens in people has to happen occasionally in churches. God's always moving in different ways. You notice that Jesus never healed somebody the same way twice. I mean, if he only did even just two ways, we'd probably become the the church of those who spit in the mud and those who don't. I mean, he used just a variety of different ways to minister to people, to heal people, to speak to people. To farmers, he talked about seed. To bankers, he talked about money. To farmers, he talked about crops. I mean, he just used a variety of different ways to meet different people. And we have to be willing, just as in times past, just as Jesus did, we have to be willing to adapt to the way that God is moving at this particular time and this particular place. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not taking away anything from this book. I fully expect you as a membership, and especially the board, that if I ever try to take away from this book, that you'll take the ones in the pew and stone me with them. That's how serious I am about not taking away from this book. But sometimes methods can change to reach a new generation. As long as we keep a holy fear of God in how we present the gospel to this world, the gospel message will never change. It's a bloody cross, it's a crucified Savior, and a resurrected Lord. Those are the basics of our faith, and that's never going to change. We want to keep that holy fear of God in how we present it to the lost world. Amen? The fourth and final lesson of the Valley of Dry Bones is this. God blows life into what has been prepared. Ezekiel 37, verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life. And stood upon their feet, a vast army. Thank you, Jesus. Spiritual preparation always brings spiritual harvest. Let me say that again. Spiritual preparation, even and the physical preparation, will always bring the spiritual harvest. I can say that with such confidence because it agrees with the law of sowing and reaping in the Bible. We see this living here where we live. What's going on right now? We live in an agricultural community. Conrad, what were you doing yesterday? Plowing. People are plowing. People are scattering seed. They're not doing it just 
to have fun because people like to make rolls in the dirt. They're doing it with an expectation that something is going to happen. If they go out there and they plow, if they go out there and they spread the seed, cover the seed, if they, they make sure that the pests don't get to it, if they make sure that weeds don't, don't get in there, if they care for their crops, they have an expectation that there is going to be a harvest that comes. That's the law of sowing and reaping. I have the same expectation for this church that if we sow into the right things, if we sow into different ways of presenting the gospel, changing the building, whatever we have to do, that there will come a harvest. Because I believe that God wants to send one to us. Let me say that again, because you guys need to get excited about this. I believe God wants to send us a harvest. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that? God wants to send us a harvest. He wants people of Whitehall and Trempeleau County to know Jesus. But we need to prepare. We're going to talk a a little bit about some of the physical preparations later at our fellowship meal. But let's concentrate a moment on the spiritual applications here. The spiritual preparation involves prayer. There's a faith that needs to be exercised here at the end of our service this morning. We need to lift up our eyes to God. We need to see him for who he is and speak boldly boldly what his will is. That these dry bones called Whitehall Assembly of God will live again. Let's all stand. So I'm going to ask you, my church family, can these bones live again? We don't need a a restoration of yesteryear, but we do want what God has for us today. We want that new wine that he has promised. And I want us to enter into a time of prayer this morning, even using your prayer language. Please, if you feel like speaking, praying in tongues, do so. If you feel like prophesying, do so. Because we want to speak to the dry bones and have them live again. So, Father God, we just enter into a time of prayer this morning before you. And we want to hear your word speak. Dry bones live again. We want the breath of God to enter into us. We want a new life and a new vitality to spread through every person here. We want a spiritual move that brings people into the kingdom, God. So, Lord God, whatever is hindering that, remove it according to your power. If there is fear or doubt or unbelief in any of our hearts, let your fresh breath enter us so we can see you for who you are again, Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just lift up your voices and begin to pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, I ask that a preparation begin right now in all of our hearts. That we get excited to see you move in this church once again. 
that we don't see our neighbor as anything other than somebody who needs Jesus. Lord God, give us new vision. Give us new spiritual insight. Blow into us again, Holy Spirit, that we may see our lives the way you see them. Strategic plants of the kingdom of God throughout this community, Lord. And let us hear your word repeat to us over and over again until it is new in our hearts. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You will live again. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. Let this word that was given this morning just burn in our hearts from this day forward so that we can see it pass and see it with our own eyes and watch and witness the salvation of the Lord. Father God, I thank you, Lord. Bless our fellowship meal downstairs, Father. May you be glorified in everything that is done and said. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 See you downstairs.